I'm Sean O'Neill, and this is Try Hard, a love letter to failure. You fuck with self-help at all? Self-help and encouragement to those who need it. All right, and welcome to another episode of Try Hard, a love letter to failure. I am your host, Sean O'Neill, and joining me this week is Michael Timont. Hey, how's it going, buddy? All right. Michael is a uh, stand-up comedian and a show producer out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Vegas now. All right. It's, uh nothing going on here since covid you know Mm -hmm. all the shows have shut down no Cirque du Soleil (laughs) (laughs) is it just like those creatures that fly across acrobatically can get ghosted who who would have thought you know (laughs) all right Michael how would you uh define yourself for our listeners that haven't heard of you maybe are you talking about like my stand-up or my uh Uh, what do you do what do you do Michael do so much uh i i kind of you know it's funny I'm, I'm a comedian but I, I i still have that uh i identify as a sound guy mostly oh yeah like uh yeah that's my that's my trained background i started uh doing sound by needing not being able to afford mu- music uh session time at a, in a recording studio so i had to figure it out myself and then i fell in love with sound recording and radio uh is awesome one of my loves so i've been a sound guy longer than i've been a stand-up although i love stand-up as well don't get me wrong i've been doing that 10 years i've been doing sound audio for 18 about 18 years holy, holy cow shit. oh my god well <laughs> this is about failure so let's get going yeah 18 absolutely years 18 years of failure <laughs> Well, we we here at TryHard are all about rebranding failure to a learning experience, and it feels like you learned a lot, and uh, you also produce a uh, painting show. Is that correct? Yeah, I do a a Bob Ross comedy paint show that will be coming up in the next month or two. It's called Watching Paint Dry. Uh, Website's watchingpaintdryshow.com. If anyone wants to, you can sign up for our newsletter, and as soon as it's out on YouTube, we'll let you know. Uh, also, for live shows, we might have some live shows coming up. So, And I went to a live show. I tried to paint along with Bob Ross, and it is crazy how fast that guy is. That guy, I mean, and that's why I try and, in the beginning, include a disclaimer. Because <laughs> that guy, though, did that for 10 years before he did the show. Mm-hmm. So... Like, people get discouraged, and that's why in the beginning of the show, I'm always like, raise your hand if you've painted in the last month, year. And almost never do I, if I get a hand up, it's usually an art teacher. Or <laughs> some, you know, someone who is an avid artist who is always painting. Because if they haven't in, in the last month or year, yeah, of course not. Like, you know what I mean? You're not going to keep up with Bob. Rule number one, you're not Bob Ross. <laughs> and then rule number two is... Again, you're not Bob Ross. Like, don't feel bad. That's why we take breaks during the show. It took a little bit to learn how the show works. Mm-hmm. But I think it's pretty fun. I don't, I, you could tell them your experience of the show. I, if you had fun or... Yeah, I had fun. It and it seemed like you were having an absolutely great time doing it. It's my favorite thing I get to do. Even 
I mean, I love doing stand-up, but the show is absolutely a blast for me. Mm-hmm. It's my kind of weirdness and fun and and weird comedy, and I love art, but I'm stupid with it. I'm a, I'm a <laughs> moron when it comes to art, so <laughs> the way you learn that is fucking, you want to talk about failure. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can't get, my. I recorded this song, and I actually still have it, but it took me forever. I got this really cool sound with the electric guitar because it was recording through my computer because I didn't know how to set up the mic. But then when I was recording vocals, it sounded really shitty. Mm-hmm. And then I found out it was recording through the actual computer and you could just hear the fan the whole time. And that's how I learned that thing. Oh. Like I'm, I'm not a good, like I'm actually, I prefer analog when it comes to recording. Like, it, like the old days when you could just have, you know, tape if you could run a a track tape that's way easier to me to edit well no after time you learn the you know the computer stuff but it takes me forever to learn a program once i do i'm good but it'll take me like a good six months of fucking around with that program before i can really do the thing i need to do yes i inherited a mixer from my uh uh my roommate who passed but uh I ended up not using that mixer because it was 20 years old and German. Uh, what brand is it? Oh, I'll uh, send you the details of it later because I, Oh, fair enough. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> because off the top of my head, I can't think of it, but <laughs> it was such a pain in the ass to learn. And when I finally found a video tutorial to tell me how to use it, it was all in German, which oh, was boy. not helpful at all i had to, i had to learn most of my board but first board i had it came with japanese directions so i had to learn by trial and error all over the board yeah i had to figure out which one was reverb by fucking with all the things until i found which one was reverb and then i would mark it <laughs> and then eventually it just became second nature <laughs> i just knew which ones to go to but yeah that was a i had that board for like three months before i finally had my own that Mm-hmm. worked that was just a normal board everything marked and everything mm-hmm. <laughs> okay sorry <laughs> no, no that's okay that is okay we are back at uh try hard a love letter to failure where we not just we don't just talk about uh failure we also talk about building ourselves up trying to make ourselves better people michael you fuck with therapy i do i do uh i have a counselor therapist Mm-hmm. I talk to about once every week or every other week. I talk to her tomorrow. Um, I'm a big uh, proponent of therapy. That's good. Counseling. That's good. Yeah, it's uh, that helped. That changed my life a lot. Of, a lot. So, um, yeah. All right. What about self help? Do you think that's a bunch of uh, hooey, or do you actually get uh, help out of books? I I don't like the magical thinking self help, mm-hmm. but I think there is good self help out there that can help you um that can help you progress i think there's realistic self-help and Mm -hmm. then there's the secret bullshit oh yes um sorry anyone out there that believes in the secret it's not real in order to (laughs) achieve anything you have to go do it you can't just think about it you have to go do it and that's a that's the thing i had to learn myself not just not because i thought the secret worked but uh I'm an introverted guy so like sometimes things wouldn't happen for me and i had to learn to go and actually do the thing or try and do the thing to get what I wanted. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do think there's some good self-help out there. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man, I wish I had the book on me. It's in one of my boxes. 
there was a book I had that taught me all about developing relationships and, and, uh, my problem has been like, I have, uh, 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 I'm co codependent. Mm -hmm. So for me, I've had to learn boundaries. That's been a major thing I've had to learn throughout my life because I didn't have any. And then, you know, so then people would take advantage or I'd get, you know, and I'd find myself in these same positions. And I had a therapist who gave me this self-help book, but it, and he's like, he's like, ignore this stuff, but there's some good things in here. And like, taught you how to reinforce boundaries with people you know and things like and uh how to so to create so that you're not stressed out and you're not um putting yourself in positions of failure because you're trying to help you know you're trying to please other people i completely relate to that i've uh struggled with codependency <laughs> in my life before and uh most recently i've tried to uh put a boundary with somebody that I was seeing and uh, well, I guess this is going to come out sometime. So I'm just going to throw it out there four episodes in. I was uh, assaulted by an ex. Oh boy. Yeah. She came over to my house after I had not been talking to her for a while. I was trying to set a clear boundary after we broke up and right. I was trying to say, just give me some time to sort through my feelings. I'll be okay after a little while, but I just don't want to talk to you for a little bit. And she was stewing in the uncertainty of it all, getting madder and madder and driving yeah. the people in her life crazy. And basically... Called... She's not in control, right? That, yeah, because she's easy. not in control. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she came over to my house and... uh after after we talked for a while, she was still mad and then decided, fuck everything, fuck our friendship afterwards, and uh, slapped me in the face and uh, punched me in the jaw. Then came back to get Jesus. her. Then came back to get her stuff later and brought uh, a man with her, who said, "Hey, nothing personal. I gotta fuck you up a little what? bit. Yeah, nothing personal. I gotta fuck you up a little bit." Did you tell him I'm going to call the cops then? No, my, my <laughs> land personal. I'm going to call the police. <laughs> yeah. My landlady's boyfriend came out and tried to smooth the whole thing over. He's like a 60 something year old hippie. And, uh, just was sort yeah. of like, Hey man, this is, you can't be challenging people to fights on my property. And, uh, that basically smoothed the thing over for a little while. But, uh, when I got the box to move her stuff to her car, she struck me again in the face and in the head and, was wailing on me, screaming that I was a narcissist and how I'm completely alone now and I got what I deserved. It sounds like you're better off alone than with her at all. Oh, I, I don't disagree with you. I still have very strong <laughs> feelings for her, but I just have to keep that under control. I feel you. No, I mean, dude, it's, I get it. It's it's a tough thing. My Mine was with my mom for a long time mm -hmm. where we would get into... It's it's weird when you go into therapy how like you see life one way and it just takes that person you know it's weird enough and I don't really care for him that much but Adam Carolla is the reason I was I started seeking therapy okay because he uh he talked about it with his dad how when he was broke and he couldn't afford it his dad would pay for it and he goes you're paying for someone outside of your life to take a look at your life and help give you advice because people close to you this is what a lot of people don't realize People close to you, they have a vested interest in decisions you make. Mm -hmm. 
So what you're paying with a lot of times with a therapist is a person will go like, why would you do that? And you go, wait, what? No, no, why would you do, you know, like, and this therapist, Bob, uh, I was having some substance issues at the time. I, I, my twenties were a mess. Um, but I would always get in fights with my mom. And what would happen is I'd be at her house and Fox news would be on. And, uh, I didn't agree with whatever the fuck they were talking about 99% of the time. And she'd be like, can you believe people at this? I would be like, well, actually mom, this is the issue. And that's not correct really. And she'd get mad and start yelling at me. And then I start yelling at her for being an idiot. And then all of a sudden we're screaming at each other. Sometimes she'd throw shit at me and he, he's the one who looked and he's like, why would you get a conversation in which she's not going to, she's trying to validate she's right. Mm -hmm. And you're sitting there going, Hey, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, I didn't think of it like that. I thought I was helping out by -hmm. giving her information. (laughs) Like, Hey, you're missing this huge chunk of information, lady. I'm a journalism major. Yeah. Let me help you out. (laughs) That's not what she wanted anyway. Like she wants to validate her point. And he told me, he goes, and so it would get to this point where like almost fisticuffs and stuff. It was bad. Every time it would be terrible. She'd try and kick me out of the house and I was living there and I was broke. So I had nowhere else to go. He's like, do this a couple times. And by the third or fourth time, she'll go along with it. The first two times she's going to act just as she did. And what you do when she does is you get up and you leave. This is what you say. You go, mom, I, I let's just not talk about it because we're not going to agree. And it always ends up in a fight. Right. That's he said, just say that. And when she starts yelling at you, get up, go into your room, close the door and lock it and tell her, I can't talk to you right now until you've calmed down. By the third time, like on the dot, she was like, oh, and the first two times she screamed at me. She's like, you're just such a liberal, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And I just get up, walk in my room, close the door, lock it. She'd start screaming outside and I just ignore her. Third time. She was like, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> And I can just imagine you playing jazz records as loud as you could to try and drown out the, uh, <laughs> put on some Coltrane, you know, if I'm feeling really angsty, I'd put on some punk. I'm all over the board, but <laughs> put on some sex pistols to get the Republican mad in her. You know, I think there's something DNA level with that for, for Republicans. <laughs> something about the slide out of tune guitar, you know, <laughs> But it's weird how like that kind of stuff, like how therapy can help give you. A, I never thought I could just go, oh, let's not talk about it because you start screaming. Yeah, and yet, there a was a person telling me, hey, just say this. And then by the third, fourth time, she's going to be on board and we hardly fight now. That's beautiful. Yeah. We just I mean, once in a while, she'll start saying, you know, with politics this she's a trump supporter and stuff so yeah there's i have to hold back a lot but there's points where i i definitely i i get triggered and at that point i always try and back off because i realize like oh this is gonna go that horrible way so then i'm I'm like okay whatever and i just let it go because it's not gonna go anywhere but bad Mm -hmm. but i got someone had to teach me that and i was 20 23 24 years old I didn't realize you can just disengage from an argument. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that that's a uh, therapy is a great thing. Yeah, it is a beautiful thing. I'm uh, been in and out of therapy most of my life, going back to 11 years old, uh, where I was diagnosed with ADHD, and my parents said, "Well, now that we've got a 
an idea this pill is probably the cure and then pulled me out oh boy so i didn't have any coping mechanisms till i was in my late 20s yeah no i mean i think people like people are scared of therapy and they're scared of getting it because they don't want to I, I think a lot of people i me included um think of it as like a weakness or it's for really weak or really weak or really great extreme people right mm-hmm. like and then you don't realize how many problems you have in your own life that actually could be solved by therapy like i said it was adam carolla talking about it like you're paying for someone to take a look at your life and help you make correct decisions because he has no vested interest in what the outcome is other than a positive one versus like when you talk to your parents about like oh i think i want to be a comedian Mm -hmm. of course they try and talk you out of it they they don't know what a comedian is. They don't know how that happens. They don't know they don't have no frame of reference mm-hmm. for any of that. So they t- try and talk you out of like something that you want you want to do. Versus a therapist would be would be like, I remember my therapist when I told him I want to do comedy. I kept lying to my parents saying I was doing sound, which I was, but I was getting stage time for doing sound uh, for anyone out there. Sometimes in the beginning of comedy, you can trade the skills you have to get on stage because you're not good enough to be on stage yet. Right. Um, so I would just tell the half of it. And my therapist is going, why don't you just tell him you do comedy? And then I, he, I was like, well, then, you know, like they're going to ask about the jokes about them. And he goes, it doesn't matter if you do jokes about them. That has nothing to do with them. And that's what you tell them. And I was like, oh, my God, I can just say that. I can just tell him. Oh, well, this is my perspective. So if you want to tell jokes about me, go for it. But anyway, it, it like that's the positives of therapy that mm-hmm. that I think everyone should get at an early age. I think if mo if we taught kids, if we made kids in like elementary school go to therapy, I think a lot of the problems in high school kids have would go out the window. Probably. Probably, which is why I'm really for this push for mental health that people have been on for the past few years, I really think that we have a vested interest in making sure that the rest of uh, the country is mentally healthy and processing their yeah. issues. I, I totally agree. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, I think we all think we're okay, but we're all a little fucked up. Oh yeah. And yes. uh, if you want proof, your parents are the ones think of how fucked up your parents are. Even if you, I love my parents. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. It sounds like I'm talking all kinds of shit. I love my mom. I love my dad. I love them to death, but they tried their best. Mm-hmm. And when you look back, like their best was failing all over the place. You want to talk about failure. How many times did your parents fail at just basic parenting skills? You know what I mean? Like, and they, you know what? They learned from their parents. Yes. So they didn't, you think of your grandma and grandpa, you're like, oh, no, shit, this was better than I got. Okay, well, you got to throw them a bone there. But we all have to fix ourselves that way, I think. Absolutely. I mean, your parents were Mormons in Las Vegas, and mine uh, routinely got into shouting matches with me over homework where my dad would exasperatedly say, all right, fine, you're smarter than me. <laughs> oh yeah my my parents would get mad at homework because there were things i was in some really smart classes and i they couldn't help me oh that's like n- not that they were dumb 
No, of course. It was, it's hard. It was stuff they couldn't, like, either. The math stuff was always fine with my dad. When it got to, like, English and, like, they'd read my essays and be like, this is way better than I could have done, so I don't know what to help you with. Good luck. So they would just get hound on me about doing it. That was the thing about me. Yeah. It's like, what do you have to do and get done? And I was the worst procrastinator. Although that turned out to be a good thing for journalism school. So <laughs> <laughs> I felt like when I got to journalism school, they'll like, you'll come into class and they'll go, they'll be like, all right, here's, a, they'll give you a sample and you're supposed to rewrite the story. And they'll be like, you have 10 minutes. And I'm like, I've been preparing for this my whole life. Those kids <laughs> who need all that like work to organize would freak the fuck out. And I'm like in the zone mm-hmm. automatically. <laughs> But don't procrastinate, kids. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes pressure is the only motivator, though. Right. I mean, yeah, to be honest. And I've definitely gotten Fs from procrastinating too long and yeah. stuff. But in that one, when it comes to journalism, it's always about, like, now, now, now. And you're always – a deadline is everything, and the deadline's now. Yes. So, so versus – you know, I come from a creative writing background more too. And I would, I would jam out stories in like the night before, just stay up all night writing it. Mm-hmm. And I'd get it done. I do a good job creative writing wise, but I'd probably do a better job had I given it time. You know, with writing creatively, it's more of a, you want to do your best job. You want to rewrite and edit. And, but journalism, it's like, get it done. We need it in. Oh, but you also need all your punctuation, right? And mm-hmm. everything like that. So. So that's just a second nature kind of thing. Right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, (laughs) Why did you major in journalism, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I, I was, (laughs) it it was the, I love radio. I'm a, I'm a big radio. I've been a radio fan since I was a teenager. Like I would always listen to the radio music talk sport like Vin Scully's my hero mm-hmm. uh he was the he, he's been retired for three or four years now uh but he was the he's the hall of fame broadcaster for the Los Angeles Dodgers and then when I got to be a teenager I discovered like morning like Howard Stern and um you know all the guys on the talk radio I wasn't listening to uh like political at all I was listening to like um you know Mike and Mike in the morning on ESPN um, it would be, you know, different guys on ESPN, different guys on just, uh, Tom Likas is a guy who is, a oh, I definitely heard, heard a lot of him growing up because we listened to a lot of AM radio. Yeah. And I, and I don't agree with a lot of what he says, but it's very entertaining. Oh, I think yeah. he's great at what he does. Um, so Phil Hendry, uh, Phil Hendry was love a huge Phil one for me. Hendry. Absolutely I, love him. He's so underrated. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Like, I remember the first time listening, I'm like, this is the most bananas radio show I've ever heard. And then, you know, it takes like a week or two before you figure out, oh, he's the one doing all the voices. Yes. Like, because it takes you, because you're like, what the fuck is this person on the radio? Like, like he's fine, but his characters that he came up with, you're like, who the fuck would put this weirdo on and it's like oh he's fucking with people and it's brilliant so like i i love sound and i love radio um also i was a musician so i was you know obviously music on the radio i played saxophone and later guitar Mm -hmm. um so 
journalism basically and i regret my degree to this day if you want to talk about regrets and uh, i succeeded at getting a bachelor's eventually it took me about six years from when i finally i went back to school because everyone told me the reason i don't have a full-time job is because i don't have a degree hey you know what you know why you can't get that full-time job mike you don't have a degree and i'm still delivering fucking food for a living even with a degree so that was a lie but you know, I, I that's why I chose journalism is I was I wanted to do radio. I mm-hmm. love radio, and I, I and I like doing the editing part, uh, especially like I like being on the board, doing the sound effects, putting shit together. Like that's kind of my jam. No, that makes total sense, and I probably would have done the same thing, but it took me six years to get an associate's degree. Oh, for, I mean, I went. I mean, if you really put it, it was nine or 10 years total. Oh, I, my, from 18 to like 22, 23, I would go for a semester and take one or two classes. And then the next semester I would fail one. And then I try and take three classes and I'd fail two. Like I didn't, I had no direction though. I was, I was trying to play in bands and I was recording my own music and that was the focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I finally caved when everyone was like, the reason you can't get a full-time job is because you don't have a degree. And then I did that and I still don't have a full-time job, but yeah. <laughs> I learned some stuff. I'm good with punctuation. Yeah. <laughs> I went to college to do theater. I went almost exclusively because they had the nicest, shiniest theater equipment that I could get my hands on. And as long as I was a student or a member of the community, I could be in as many plays as I wanted. Nice. Yeah. So that's why I went to college for so long because I, I just wanted to do theater and be performing all the time. Now, granted, I think that makes more sense than my reason. Yeah. To be honest, because at least you achieved what you, you got in the plays and you were doing the plays and got to use the equipment. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I learned a lot of stuff, but I was lying to myself at the time, not realizing that that was my reason for going. I thought I was trying to get an education and failing at it. But in reality, I was just succeeding at living my dream of being an actor, even on uh, uh, on a smaller scale. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think that's I, I think uh, I'm a big fan of uh, of. Uh, shoot who's the guy who said the? i know the quote and now that i want to say it i can't remember the guy who said it oh kurt vonnegut okay uh kurt vonnegut had this great has a great quote about art and he's like just do it to make art he's like you don't have to i think a lot of us get in this idea of like where our art has to be our living but i know a lot of people who they make art to make art and they have a job and that funds their art. And sometimes it can get out of, I'm just rambling now, but like, I think it's, I think it's important that like, you don't have to be full-time just doing the art. Like, I think it's, I think it's amazing when people go out for community plays and, 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 or write short stories and just submit them. And they have no ambition of being a writer. They just love to do that thing. Mm-hmm. Because that's kind of my life right now. I I have no illusions of uh, getting an hour out there uh, as far as stand-up goes, but I'm still going to uh, do stand-up once this pandemic ends for at least another year. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
And by the way, when when you were living in the Pacific Northwest and you gave me rides to all of those mics, that, that meant a lot to me at, at the time. And I really appreciate oh. all of your support, Michael. Oh, no problem, man. I, I, I like anyone who's actually trying to do it and wants to do it. And like, it's fun, it's fun doing it. I've done most of my stand-up by myself. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sucks. It, it was always better when I had a friend along and you know what I mean? Like, I, do you remember uh, we used to do the uh, Saturday morning breakfast material where most oh, yes. of us would just get together and like we shoot premises, but mostly we just ate breakfast and fucked around. And, but I think that's where some of the most, the best times of stand up are. Yeah. Are just are hanging with comedians and trying to make each other laugh and, and like car rides. I don't know how many car rides I've been on with comics with like you or Rachel or mm-hmm. or rice man and just having deep conversations about things that i wouldn't have with my family yeah that's one thing that made me get into comedy was that i heard that uh part of it was just the hang when you got to be with other comedians and uh yeah there's some cattiness and some bitchiness in every scene that you get into but every oh, once in a while yeah <laughs> <laughs> i've been on three different scenes and yeah you're you're every single one has their are we in fucking high school yeah what the fuck is wrong with you guys uh (laughs) pacific northwest gets honorable number one cattiness place but i still miss people up there and i still miss the scene up there and it still taught me a lot Mm -hmm. um about stand up and it just it was different kinds of crowds i mean to me stand up like stand up's the first time i was in a place where I felt I was me. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes yes, sense. Yes, it does. That's why I went to stand up yeah. after theater was because I wanted the creative freedom to pursue something that would be totally me as opposed to just words on a page. And I've acting is beyond me. Like I respect actors. I don't, I'm not talking shit about actors at all when I say this but I don't know how to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. I'm terrible. I'd be like, if you, if I'm reading a, a, a thing for a, and they're like, okay, you're a dad. Your wife has died. You have three kids that you're trying to bring up. I'm like, I don't know what any of that means. Mm-hmm. I literally don't know what that means. Like I, it's hard for me to, uh, uh, to imagine what any of that means versus me. Like stand up was the first time I could get on stage because I with music and I was okay at music. I wasn't terrible. And I probably could have rose up ranks a little better, but I was always trying to say something, but like if I was just listening to some recordings I had back in the day and some of it, I'm like, Oh, that's not what I think at all. Really. I'm just trying to wax smart about whatever about love or whatever subject I have no interest in. I just wrote a slow song. So I needed Okay, this will be a love song. <laughs> I mean, that's silly, kind of. But, but like, I mean, I know people who are genuinely like engaged with the thought. But like, my natural state is silly. I like being silly. I like cracking jokes. Mm-hmm. I like making people laugh. Like that was the first. And I like the fact that I, if you can make someone laugh at at a, at a thing you say, even if you're, I mean, I've made people laugh at things that like. I can't believe I laughed at that because there'll be a dark thing about suicide or it'll, but there's an element of truth mm-hmm. that I'm able to get by 
but I'm able to make it okay. That's what I like about, and that's why I don't understand why so many comics are comics. I'm like, did you get, like, I, to me, humor was always a thing that made the bad things okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I feel like a lot of people, like, stand-up should not be your therapy, but it, it's therapeutic. Right. I think there's a difference. Absolutely like, a difference. And speaking of stand-up, uh, I've had three stand-ups on this show so far, and every single one of them has told a bomb story. I'll go first because I realize it's very vulnerable to ask somebody. How oh, I got so many bombed. bomb stories. I'm 10 years in, bro. Yeah. <laughs> go for it, yeah. All right, all right. I, I put on a show in my hometown with uh, my brother and, like, five other comics that I did not know. And in that theater, you've been to the the Evergreen Playhouse in uh, in yeah. Centralia that one time. So I had, this... I had fun at that theater. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a wonderful theater, great space. I had a lot of fun there. And like the fifth time I've ever done stand up was a show that I put on myself. Sam Miller was there. Uh, Keegan was there, and Kevin the Clown was there. And I didn't realize how featuring worked. So oh, I just, yeah. I opened the show and then I closed the show. Sam thought he was the headliner closing the show, but I went on again and I made fun of my dad like a lot. <laughs> it was, it was five to, I want to say almost 10 minutes of me making fun of my dad in an audience full of friends and family members. And they were laughing at the sheer absurdity of it and not my jokes which is something yeah, I yeah. did not realize until afterwards. I went, <laughs> I went up to hug my dad after the show, and he's like, "Get the fuck off me! What? <laughs> you just kicked oh, me wow. in the nuts for ten minutes." <laughs> oh, that's brutal. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't oh, just my fault. My my younger brother's set was almost entirely jokes about dad, so it's just sort of like I was piggybacking on something that was already happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not necessarily a bombing thing, but if I had the the sight to know that I wasn't doing that well and I was just uh roasting a man non consensually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's ooh, yeah. I could <laughs> especially your dad. You're my trying dad. to prove to your dad, look at this thing I can do and he's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right there. Yeah, it's oh yeah. That I, that's rough. That's a rough one. Oh shit. <laughs> how about you you got a bombing story oh i got lots of them uh let's see i uh yeah i talk about the first time i did stand up in la it was uh i it was a oof. it was a bomb it it went to the next day that's how it affected me for weeks uh so i hadn't really i kind of bombed but like vegas is a lot more forgiving especially the newer comics like people are a lot more um, they're more supportive. They're like, "Hey, he's never done stand up before. Let's give him a round of applause." Like, saw that in the Pacific Northwest. Los Angeles does not have that desire. They have <laughs> dark hearts that are solid dark, and they if you're if you bomb, they don't want anything to do with you. They don't. So it was my first time doing stand up. I went to the uh, Ha Ha Cafe in North Hollywood. I biked there, so I already didn't know. I didn't know the no shorts rule. I'm in bicycle shoes like i had to clip in shoes because that was my transportation when i moved to la i didn't have a car so i'm biking uh i get to the club 
Um, I'm in shorts and I have a bag with me and uh, I had my phone. I thought I turned my phone off. I'm brand new. Nobody knows who I am. I'm trying to meet people. I had lived in LA maybe two weeks. I was probably about two weeks in. Um, so before I go up, like probably three people before me, my phone goes off. It's Jimi Hendrix all along the watchtower and it's blasting. <laughs> and it's in, it's in my backpack and I don't know where it is. So like the dude had to stop doing a set, all eyes on me. And I'm like fucking fumbling around, turn it off. I turned it off right before it ended anyway. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Like I'm fucking, I'm, I must've been ghost white. Cause I was like, I know I fucked up. Mm -hmm. like, I know I just fucked up this guy's set. So like three comics later, they have me come up and I decided I was going to, I'd never done this before. I've only been on stage probably like 12 times. And, uh, and so I decided I'm going to go and I'm going to riff on this Stephen Colbert thing from the night before. And I'm just, they don't like me to begin with. They fucking hate me like straight up. Hate me. Like this is the fucker who thinks he's going to come in, tell jokes after he let his phone go off. He's on, he's in fucking short. If you guys wonder why anyone from the Pacific Northwest, LA is like Nazi about no shorts on stage. So I'm on shorts and stage, not being funny. And just bombing for two minutes. And I bombed so hard. I only had to do five minutes. I bombed so hard after two minutes. I was like, I don't remember what I was supposed to say next. Which got a chuckle. And I'm like, no, seriously. I, I, my mind w was blank. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't tell a joke. I didn't know. I probably couldn't recite my name at that point. That's how fucking bad I was bombing. And I go, all right, guys, good night. And I just walk off stage. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm bombing. I bombed so bad. The host comes, and in LA, if you like the hosts up in the Pacific Northwest and in Las Vegas, like you know, they're, they'll coddle you a little bit because you're new. They're trying to be friendly with you, you know. This guy in, in LA, no one gives a shit. The host came up to me and he's like, "Hey man, are you okay?" Like that's how bad I bombed. <laughs> like, like the host gave a shit. So then it continues where, so I'm, I'm so disappointed. Like I'd never been crushed that much in my life. I never felt like I failed so much in my life. I biked home and I was drinking then. Um, I'm on off drinking now, but I don't black out anymore. And I had this giant fucking just handle of gin and I am going at it. Just trying to forget anything that just happened. My roommate comes home and he's like, hey, dude, you are sloshed. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, that bad? And I had recorded it. And I had my little recorder. This is before you could record on your phone. Um, <laughs> I didn't have an iPhone. So I played the thing for him. And I'm doing so bad, he's laughing. Because <laughs> he's a comedy fan. He's like, dude, that's so bad. And I'm like, fuck. I wake up late for work because I'm so drunk. I go to work drunk. Like I bicycle again on a bicycle. So I get to work. They're like, dude, you are drunk. You cannot. I'm a lifeguard, by the way. I shouldn't be watching people this drunk. So they put me in the bathrooms to clean the bathrooms. When my boss gets there, David tells Aaron, he goes, Hey man, Mike's really drunk. And he calls me into his office and he's like, Hey man, you're pretty new here. And uh, Doug had also told him that he, I had the recording. So my boss goes, 
uh, you can't be drunk coming to work, man. That's not cool. I'm like, I know I just had a really bad set last night, like really bad. And I lost my shit and I'm sorry. And he goes, well, if you want to keep your job, you're going to have to play that tape for me. (laughs) (laughs) So I get my recorder and I start hitting play and he's trying to keep a straight face. And as as it's going and I'm not getting any laughs, he's laughing harder and harder. And he let me keep my job. He's just like, but you can't come in drunk like that anymore. So (laughs) at that point, I pretty much was like, you know what? I'm new enough to comedy. I think I should quit. I tried to quit. And then two weeks later, my roommate, uh, I I knew of another open mic. And I was like, I just got to try it one more time. And he's like, wait, where are you going? I'm like open mic and he's like really (laughs) (laughs) that was like a year and some change into comedy yeah now i don't want to speak too soon but that might be the best bomb story i have ever heard in my life because the (laughs) the shame and the punishment does not stop after you leave the place yeah People before have been like, wait, I'm like, no, trust me, there's more. Like, <laughs> like the, I got, re- I had to listen to that set three times. One when I was there, <coughs> later that night with my roommate, and then the third time just to keep my job. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you poor man. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, but it, I mean, it never got worse than that. Like, I mean, I've had some bad bombs. But I mean, I think part of, I mean, the weird thing, I, w- I did music before um, comedy. And the weird thing between music is I can practice at home all I want until I get good enough at what I want to make it sound like. And then I present it to everybody. The only way to practice comedy and find out if what you think is funny is funny to everyone else is to get in front of a crowd and try it out. Yeah. I don't think people realize that with comedy. Yeah, I definitely realize it because I tried to write on stage for a while and uh, <laughs> yeah, that didn't work out so very well. That's how I, I write on stage and mm-hmm. it means I'm going to bomb. Yes. Sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to be okay with that. Bombing is part of the creative process when you do it that way. Right. And I think I don't write purely on stage. I write, I, I, I wait till I start, like I'll start with a thing I want to talk about and I'll just kind of ramble different angles until I start getting laughs. Mm-hmm. And then once I find the laugh, now I have an angle and now I can write it. Mm-hmm. So that's how I, but yeah, it means like sometimes, um, very few times doesn't work out the first time. Like at least like I hoped, um, the, the, the school, the national anthem joke I do, um, about Colin Kaepernick kneeling took four times till I got a chuckle. Mm-hmm. And then once I realized it was my hatred of the song, the national anthem, because it's a shitty song. Mm-hmm. Now I had my angle. Mm-hmm. Once I had an angle, I could write to that angle. Yes. But until then, I had to figure out why it bothered me and what the real issue was. And it turned out the issue was, I hate the song. <laughs> well, you're not alone but, uh, there. It is a horribly pitchy, outdated song. <laughs> Right, and that's what I bring up in the well, and it was a British drinking song. It is so, so we white appropriated white culture. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> we, there's nothing more American than appropriating culture. 
just look at the national anthem. But, uh, <laughs> but like that joke took, and that's the hard thing for me. Like, especially if I go to a new scene is I feel I have to do old stuff to prove I'm funny because if you saw me get up for the first time and I'm just bombing, cause I'm trying to figure out what my angle is. People think I don't know what I'm doing and I'm 10 years in what the fuck, you know, like, I know the feeling I really yeah. do. <laughs> All right. And uh, because we've been in quarantine and we've had a lot of time to work on ourselves, I just thought I'd ask you, uh, just checking in, how are you taking care of yourself, Michael? I'm doing okay. Uh, I've, I've definitely put on some pounds. I've been lucky that I have a job. It's like, as much as I don't like my job, uh, I work for one of those gig economy jobs. The nice thing about quarantine is I was working six, seven days a week as it was and barely getting on stage because I was saving money to do watching paint dry because uh, I want to do it as a YouTube show. And that equipment, I've, I've bought about $5,000 of equipment so far. Uh, I'm waiting on the last 3000 in the next couple weeks. Mm -hmm. But so I was kind of lucky where the quarantine just let me keep doing what I'm doing and I'm not missing out on comedy like I usually am. So it's, <laughs> I feel bad because the quarantine's been okay for me. Uh, for people uh, that are out there, I deal with suicidal depression, which is, you know, that's another thing. But so COVID doesn't really scare me. Um, <laughs> so I'm able to just go work and instead of dealing with uh, having to sit at home all day, I'm lucky where I get to go. I, I think if I didn't have a job, I'd be in trouble. But uh, Same here. But luckily, I, I'm lucky to have a job. So, And because of it, I've been working 10-hour days, and I almost have all the equipment I need to set up my own studio and be able to record what I want to record until we can get back on stage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Trying to turn lemons into lemonade, you know? All right. <laughs> How are you dealing with the, the COVID? Well, with, uh, I wasn't there? I wasn't exercising for a long time, but I've been going on a lot of hikes in the last two months. I uh, hiked. That's exercise, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been I went to Mount Rainier two weeks ago, which was dope. I looked at the wildflowers that uh, that uh, come up in late summer. And nice. Even if I am not in a relationship with the person that I went up there with, then it's still that doesn't taint the memory of the wildflowers. Right. Yeah. And this morning I uh, hiked Mount Hamilton in the uh, gorge, which was uh, eight miles total at 8 a.m. So how, how, how uh, hot is it up there right now? Oh, it's pretty hot up here. It got into the 90s today, but. Uh, oh, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I know you live in the desert. It's a different I know, standard. I, it's true. That's it. I mean, that was a weird to me how everyone was like, "It's so hot at 90 when I moved up there to begin with." But you're right. It's it, today it was 113. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, it's been brutal. 115 the other day. It's gonna go to 95 on uh, Tuesday, and I cannot wait. Mm -hmm. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fat man. I can't handle heat that well. I can, I mean, being raised in the desert, it's the hundred plus is what kills me. Mm -hmm. a anything over a hundred is too much. The nineties, I'm actually pretty okay. Um, for some reason, I can go down to like 58 degrees just fine. Like I can like function and I'm not cold. I have like a huge range of what I find acceptable. Mm -hmm. But, uh, over a hundred is just too much. 
No, he, there's a reason people used to just keep going through Vegas mm-hmm. before the Mormons decided Mormons settled there and everyone was like, fine, Don't, mm-hmm. we're, we're not going there. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to deal with that? Go for it. Have fun with the snakes. Uh, were the Mormons <laughs> there before the mob? Yeah. Oh, geez. Mormons, the Mormons settled Vegas. Oh, I never realized that. Yeah, they still have a part. They have it in like, you can only look in and see the the little bit of structure left, but they have parts of the original Mormon trading post uh, down near Cashman Field, okay. which was like a trading post in the, the 1800s where people on their way from Salt Lake to Los Angeles, or I mean to, uh, yeah, San Diego or Los Angeles. I can't remember which one. But it was like a stop where uh, wagon trails would go through, like prospectors and stuff. Mm-hmm. People trying to get them gold in the mats. Jeez, and I always thought that uh, your family moved to Vegas to, like, convert people or something like that. No, they were there already. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think Mormons are nice and just let the mob in or something. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> you can thank yeah, Mr. Sit- Bugsy Siegel for that. <laughs> they're just like come on in he's like okay i'll come in hey uh you want to play some big they're like we don't gamble he's like perfect we'll we'll be fine together <laughs> <laughs> yeah the more there's a there's a i mean we're right next to utah i think that's the main reason mm-hmm. there's so many but there's there's a no, good number of mormons here for sure okay well yeah, it doesn't uh, quite make sense it's being the city of sin but yeah all right well we're running up towards the end and uh around this time i like to ask every guest uh if you had any advice for all the tryhards out there that are hitting a wall anyone who's uh having trouble self-motivating what would you say to them um i mean the simplest way is is just do it. Can I tell a short story? Absolutely. Or no. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, like, I. I mean, I'm. Um, I'll tell two really quick ones. The first one is is like, don't look at failure as a negative, um, even if you fail, because you can learn something about that. Like, I when I grew up, I was a big. I'm still a big sports fan, but uh, even before I was as fat as I am now. I was skinny and I tried real hard at sports and I just wasn't very good at them. And I would fail all the time and I wouldn't make teams and, and I'd be really discouraged. And then when I got into English classes, like I got in seventh grade, I had a a short story published and, and in eighth grade, I started playing saxophone and I was actually really good at it. And, and I learned that. So I stopped doing sports as much, even though I loved it. Because it just was like, just because you're not good at one thing doesn't mean you're not good at another thing. And secondly, just take, until you do, you actually try to do the thing you're going to do. And you're probably going to fail along the way doing that. But you can sit forever. I had the idea for watching paint dry, watching paint dry show.com, everybody. Uh, <laughs> um for three years, I would sit and watch Bob Ross, and I just had this idea of wouldn't it be funny if a bunch of comedians who didn't couldn't paint painted along with Bob Ross? That was just a 
an idea I had. And then I was in that car accident where I totaled my car. I didn't have work for a few weeks. And uh, I literally had nothing going for me. And my money was running out. And um, I saw a sit and paint, you know, uh, it's called Days and Reused in Tacoma. Mm -hmm. I just walked in. I was like, hey, this is an idea I had. I'm a comic. I don't know how to do the paint part. But this is the idea for a show. And they heard it and they were like, that sounds awesome. We can do the paint part if you can do the comedy part. I'm like, wait, I know the comedy part. I could do that part. Mm-hmm. But it took three years for me to do this idea I had just because I wouldn't talk to anybody about it or try. So just try and you'll be surprised what comes out of it. All right. That's beautiful. I think you nailed it, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And uh, where can people find you? Uh, if you can remember spelling my name if, by looking at the episode, uh, it's M-I-H-K-E-L for Michael. Mm-hmm. If you put that with T, it should come up. Uh, but if not, like, so michaeltemont.com. Um, I have an album out if you have iTunes or Spotify. It's the uh, name of the album is um, It's Pronounced Michael. <laughs> and it's Michael spelled normal for the title. It's Pronounced Michael is the name of the album. And uh, so Michael Timon on Facebook, Michael J. Timon on Instagram, because I took my regular name and couldn't get back into it. And then Michael Timon on uh, on uh, Twitter. And then Watching Paint Dry. Um, just go to the website, watchingpaintdryshow.com, and all the uh, social medias are up on that. All right. That's wonderful. Thank you very much for joining us today, Michael Timon. Thank you for having me. Thanks. All right. Have a good night, everybody.